Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I am John Schmelk. The man to my left is Paul Dettino. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Paul, you've had a couple days to have the voice recover from about 10 hours of shows over the weekend. <laughs> How are you feeling? And, and what's your kind of two days off, settle down thoughts on what the Giants did last Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Well, John, I don't know what, what you did on Saturday and uh, Sunday and Monday, but I napped a lot. <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit that. It was a marathon. Hard to nap when I got a two-year-old at home. Sorry. I tried. Yeah. Did not work. I told everybody, just get out of the house and <laughs> leave me alone. I really needed to recoup. But I will tell you this. Uh, for those of you who may not have watched our shows, uh, there's no question in my mind that the Giants did extremely well. Now, there'll be debate about the first-round pick for several years to come. And I understand that. If you don't like it, well, guess what? It's going to be years before the tables turn there. Correct. If you do like it, it's also going to be years before the tables turn. So you almost have to put that one aside because it's so polarizing and say, okay, the other nine picks were what? And I think the other nine picks were really, really good. Seven out of ten players on the defensive side in a strong defensive draft for a team that needed defense. Do I really need to say anything else? No, I, I suppose mean, really. not. I suppose not. So, and they did get an edge rusher in, in X-Man. They did get Dexter Lawrence to help replace the void from Snacks. Remember, after Snacks left, the Giants couldn't stop the run up the middle the second half of last season. So they did get somebody to help out in that regard. I, I, and and you got a bunch of corners. Good draft for Dave Gettleman, and I'm not moving off of that. Well, and we're going to be joined by our guest now to talk about uh, some of the Giants draft picks because three Giants players went to the Senior Bowl, and we saw him down there in Mobile, Alabama. And I had a chance to talk to this gentleman down there as well. That's Jim Nagy. He's the executive director of the Senior Bowl, former scout for the Seattle Seahawks. You might have also seen him doing some work for ESPN, getting ready for the draft. Jim, you got John Schmelk and Paul Dottino here inside the Giants practice facility in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Thanks a lot for the time. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I appreciate you joining us, Jim. And I think a lot of people from the outside looking in that cover the draft for a living, and Paul and I to an extent are, are those people too. You know, we do our best with analysis. But as a scout, and you research these players the same way these NFL scouts do getting, getting ready for the draft, you have a lot more exposure to these players than we do. You have a lot more information and knowledge sure. about what they are, not just on the field, but as people and psychologically, which, as you know as a scout, is just as important as how they play. So tell me what you might know about Daniel Jones and your exposure to him. We'll start there. That maybe people from the outside looking in don't. Well, I, yeah, I think I, I, I like the pick. I, 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 it, it's too bad that, you know, Daniel couldn't enjoy the weekend with, uh, with the, pan, the pick getting panned as much as it was um, in the New York market. But... Uh, I think Daniel brings a lot to the table. I really do. He's got he's got size. He's got athleticism. He's accurate. He's got a he's really smart and he's incredibly tough. I mean, he is he is he is one tough dude. You put on the tape and he gets hit more, um, you know, behind that line at Duke than, than Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins did probably in the entire years. You know, he gets more hit more in one game. So um, I think there's a lot to like, and, and I understand it. With you know, is a is a fan base again. I was a fan at one point growing up, and, and you really you don't have the access to coaching tape, and you you know you can't talk to 
um, these kids' coaches and everything like that. And, and you know, in, in my role, I mean, I've got friends all over the league. So um, I understand why the fans wanted Dwayne Haskins because there were some people in the media that were really pounding the pounding the drum hard for that <laughs> for that guy. Yeah, sure. Uh, but in, un, unfortunately, like they created that narrative, so the fans again, it's nothing against the fans. I mean, you, you're just going off what people say, and you, that's largely how you have to form your opinion. But uh, I just never saw it. I just never saw it. Like, if you made me – I'd, I'd make the same pick Dave Gettleman did um, if it was between the two players. Um, you know, the NFL is a chaotic league. It is, <laughs> it's, messy, it's, messy, it's messy pockets. You get hit a lot. You throw into tight windows. And I didn't see much of that in any of Dwayne Haskins' tape. Now, again, I think Dwayne has a chance to be a good player as well. He's big. He's got a really live arm. You know, he's got a stronger arm than Daniel. He, th- he throws a pretty ball. He makes some wild throws on tape. Um, but, again, he, he just sits back there and plays pitch and catch a lot. And every time he takes the field, he takes the field with a team that's significantly better than every team they play against talent-wise, except, except maybe Michigan. And, uh, you know, the one game they did get after him was Purdue. Purdue played cover zero, and they sent the house at Dwayne Haskins, and he looked like a guy that wasn't draftable. So, um, you know, you just, you, you just again, I, the narrative has been set. Um, I understand why the fans got behind that narrative because that's what they trust. But um, I think it was unfair to Daniel. I think Daniel's got a lot of upside. Before Paul digs in on the player a little bit more, just want to go back to, to the Haskins things very quickly because you tweeted, I think it was on Friday, that from the people around the league you talked to, you knew more people with Jones ahead of Haskins on their board than Haskins in front of Jones. And we all know Dave Gettleman said he didn't think Jones would be there at 17. So I think, and Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the NFL community saw the two players a little bit differently than a lot of the popular media analysts did as well, right? No question. No question. No, I mean, I, again, I called around to, you know, being in the NFL for almost 20 years. I mean, you have friends all over the league with every team. And, you know, and I made sure to call teams that weren't in the quarterback game, you know, not that, uh, again, I think my friends would be straight with me, but I, I, I don't want to put them in that position. So of I didn't course. call the teams that might be in for a quarterback. I was calling teams that, you know, didn't have skin in the game, were not taking a QB. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, for the most part, everyone everyone I spoke to had Daniel over Dwayne Haskins. And would he have been there at 17? If you liked him good enough to take him at 17, why wouldn't you just take him at 6? Bingo. Why, you know, why would you roll the dice and, and someone, you know, if you're taking him at 17 – you're saying he's he's the guy you want to lead your franchise for for the for the future, so why not just take him at six if he's that guy and not roll the dice? So no, I again I I didn't understand you know why the the pick got uh, got the backlash that it did. I, I think it's unfortunate. I think it was unfair to Dave Gettleman and uh, in the in the Giants organization. All right, Jim. Let me let me ask you about this about Daniel Jones. He checks all the boxes in terms of intangibles. There's no question about that, but. The people who watch his game tape, who try to find something wrong with him, who try to nitpick him and say, well, he wasn't worth that number, they all come up with lack of arm strength. I rarely hear that there's much more than that. That seems to be the one that they focus on. So from all of your years in football as a scout, as an administrator, how would you rate his arm strength as he comes into the National Football League? And are there any other criticisms that you have heard thrown out against Daniel Jones that you would like to debunk as you, as you maintain 
he was a higher rated QB than most people say out on the street? I'd say Daniel's got an above average arm, um, but it's, he's got enough of an arm. You know, we use the term enough a lot in scouting. It's, it's definitely good enough arm. There's no doubt about it. Um, is it Dwayne Haskins' arm? No. Is it, is it Drew Locke? No. I mean, Drew Locke is the strongest arm in the draft. So, um, but, you know, I think that the critique that, I, that, that rubbed me wrong was that, you know, he was inaccurate deep ball thrower. He didn't have time to throw deep balls. <laughs> he, you know, one, he doesn't, have the, he doesn't have speed at receiver, and he doesn't have protection to throw the ball deep. I mean, if you're really watching the tape, he doesn't throw enough deep balls to, to even make a proper evaluation of what, a deep, uh, what kind of deep ball thrower he is. So I think that at the pro day, he was lights out on his deep balls. Now, again, I don't take a lot out of pro days as a scout. I just don't. That's not, that's not football to me. Right. But uh, I think it's a really unfair criticism that he's not a great deep ball thrower because, honestly, you can go games without him taking deep shots. And it's not because he like, likes to check the ball down all the time. And There are certain guys that are wired that way. The guys just don't like to take shots and don't want to take chances. It's that he literally doesn't have speed on the perimeter or the protection to, to push the ball down the field in that offense. So I think that that was a really unfair critique of Daniel. And uh, does he have a, a great arm? No, but that's when you're talking about tools at the quarterback position, that's the most overrated one. Now, if, he's, if a guy's got a Drew Locke arm, um, is that a bonus? Absolutely. You know, I've worked on teams with Brett Favre, and uh, Brett made throws that could totally bail him out of, of bad situations. Um, you know, Russell Wilson, I worked with Russell for a long time, and Russell's got a big arm. And, and you know, when Tom Brady came into the league, I was in New England for a long time, Tom didn't have a – Tom had about an above-average arm. And there's things you can do to strengthen it, whether it's core training, um, you know, bow, better lower body mechanics to drive the football. I mean, there's things you can do. Now, Tom's got his arm to the point where it's been good for a long time. He's got above that – he's one above that above-average um, range in terms of arm strength. But – um, to me, arm strength is the most overrated quality on a quarterback. Jim, let me ask you, as a scout, how is it that you're able to quantify and differentiate? We all know the quarterback is the magnet for everybody's attention, positive or negative. How can you quantify and differentiate what the quarterback has to work with as he's coming out of a college program? We've heard you say, and I, and I agree with you, he played with much less around him. Not one draftable player on that Duke okay. team on offense. Compared to what Haskins had, what Locke had, and what Murray had. So how can well, we quantify well, let me, it? Let me, cut you off. let me cut you off there. Drew yeah. Locke didn't have a lot either now. Okay, <laughs> more than, ahead. more than, ahead. Uh, well, I think more than Jones had though, no? Uh, yeah, probably a little bit. Yeah, he did. But, but it's still not like not like Haskins and Murray. No question. Nothing like those. No guys. question. I wouldn't dispute that at all. But how do you kind of calculate that intangible or that 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 mystery factor how do you when you're looking him? at it? Right. Well, again, you just you you have to know when you evaluate the quarterback position, you really have to evaluate everything around that guy, whether you know the coaching environment. Um, you know, the players around him, supporting cast, I mean, all those things truly, truly play a factor. And, uh, you know, it's the most dependent position in, in football. So, you, you you know, a guy like Daniel, it's just tough. Like, I mean, you made the point. I mean, is there any other pro on that team? No. And it's, it's you know, going back to Drew, like a big criticism of Drew Locke, for instance, was decision-making. And, you know, I think if you, if you go, if you really look at the tape and you look at the situational football where he was making some of his poor decisions, 
he was forcing balls when he was down 21 points in the third quarter against an SEC West opponent like LSU or Alabama who just completely outmanned their football team. So at some point when you're down in games, yeah, you have to force the issue. Yep. You're going to have to you're going to have to take a shot into tight coverage and try to make a play. That's n- that's not necessarily bad decision-making. You have to make a, a delineation there between a bad decision-maker or a guy who's just trying to help his team win in a game where where they don't he doesn't have the people around him and he's got to try to make a play. Um, so, again, I, I think it's – I actually like guys that come out of systems like that that do get beat around a little bit because that's what the NFL is all about. As much as the NFL has tried to, you know, create an environment where they're protecting the quarterbacks, um, it's still they, they still get knocked around a bunch, and you can, you, you there's just no clean pocket football in the National Football League. I mean that's why you saw all those defensive linemen go early because everyone puts an emphasis on getting to that quarterback and making him move. Um, and again, I think Daniel I think Daniel can move. I mean the guy the guy proved it on tape. Um, he tested well, you know, through the pre-draft process. So he's not just a statue back there. I mean everyone in New York used to see Eli, Eli you know, been an awesome player. He he took a Super Bowl ring off my hand when I was with the Patriots with the <laughs> David Tyree catch game. So I got a lot of respect for what Eli's done. But Daniel's Daniel's an upgrade in terms of athleticism from Eli. So um yeah, it's it is hard. It's it it's it's hard when you when you don't have a lot around you in in like you're saying, make that evaluation. Um but it becomes pretty clear when you're watching an entire offense whether he has players around him or not. I mean it it really becomes easy to see you know, our guys getting open, our guys making plays on the ball. Um, and, again, his guys dropped a ton of balls. It's not It's not that they just couldn't run or, 38. You know, or, or weren't great playmakers. They also dropped a bunch of balls. So, you know, as a quarterback, I mean, you're sticking the ball, you know, putting a, putting a ball on a guy on, on a first down throw or a, you know, or a critical third down throw that would move the chains and, and guys consistently drop balls. I mean, that can, that can deflate you too. So to have the mental toughness to keep playing through that, the Giants are getting a tough, tough dude. Yeah, and Jim and John both, that is exactly why Dave Gettleman said, yeah. well, especially when you're looking at a quarterback, you've got to grade the mental aspect of yeah. it and how did he come back from adversity. That's a big deal, and Jones passes that test. And the kid came back from a broken clavicle in two weeks with a steel rod in his shoulder, so I think the kid is is pretty tough. Final one from, from me, Jim, on Jones. Yeah, and, and, how yeah. many, how, and how many times did you hear that referenced in the whole pre-draft process? That Zero. Back from a broken collarbone in a couple weeks. That's usually a six-week injury. Yep. So, you know, to me, I, I lived in New York for five years for a city that prides itself on, on being a tough city. I would think the city would get behind a dude that's as tough as Daniel Jones is. I'm with you, Jim. Final one on me on Jones before we touch on uh, the X-Man, O'Shane Zimenez, and uh, Corey Ballantyne. You got exposure to him directly at the senior bowl. I was out there. I saw the first practice where, frankly, I thought all the quarterbacks were kind of all over the place accuracy-wise. They're throwing over receivers they don't know, so I get it. I, I, was, I wasn't out the, at the practice. I got rained out. You had to move indoors. And then you saw at, 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 in the game, he was, I think, 8 of 11 for 125 and a couple touchdowns, he, and he won the game MVP. How did you see him grow that week at the senior bowl as he got accustomed to the coaches, the players around him? And how do you think that reflects on maybe how he's going to be able to adjust at the NFL level to NFL coaching. I think that was a huge selling point um, for you know for Daniel is that he did the first day was shaky. Uh, I think getting in a huddle, spitting out long verbiage, you know from from John Gruden's West Coast offense and having John Gruden standing over your shoulder, kind of chewing on you while you're trying to do it. Um, <laughs> he was he, he was purposely applying pressure to those guys and to see how they'd respond to it. That's not an easy thing now. I mean, 
we 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 laugh about it, but I mean these kids don't they don't huddle in high school anymore. They don't huddle in college. You know they're looking over at the the, the sideline and they're taking looking at pictures of you know Mickey Mouse and and uh, you know grilled cheese sandwiches, a, a rotten tomato or something. You know I mean yeah. those are their plays. So they get in the huddle and everyone's looking at the sideline. So it, it was tough on all those quarterbacks the first day. You know so they're getting in a huddle. They're getting under center, which they're never under center. I mean. They had the guys. The guys all got together the night before the first practice and were taking snaps in the hotel lobby just so they, you know, could get used to being under center. So it, that first day is usually really rough. Scouts really give that's a leeway day with scouts. I mean, all those guys got adrenaline going. They got nerves going, and uh, so yeah. But Daniel got better every single day, and then you saw it all come together in the game where he just really played. You know, he was composed. He made throws. He, he when he needed to move and make plays with his legs, he did that. Um, so it was a progression in the sea, and that's all you want to see over that, you know, that five-day period. Is did the guy get better over the course of the week, and did he step up in the game? And, and Daniel did that. All right, Jim. Let's move on to one of the Giants' other picks who came out of the Senior Bowl. You had three of them, as it turned out. The X-Man, O'Shane Zimenez, outside linebacker from Old Dominion, was one of the three. Uh, Mel Kuyper Jr., and I don't know what you think about him, so I'm not going to ask you that, but he did have Zimenez rated as his 21st best prospect going in the first round of the draft, going into Senior Bowl week. Then by some accounts, Zimenez did not have a great Senior Bowl week, and all of a sudden now he becomes a third rounder. What did you see from him in your research prior to the game Then what you saw in him that week? that would make you feel good and or leery about him as a pro prospect? Yeah, our Northeast scout um, lives in Charlotte, and he saw O'Shane play at UNC Charlotte really early in the year. So he's been on our radar. And then they went up to Virginia Tech and uh, really played really good against a good Virginia Tech football team, you know, up and up in competition. You know, not that Virginia Tech was a great team this year, but, mm-hmm. you know, from ODU to play a play an ACC, you know, team like that um, was big. He's long. He can get off the ball. He's got, to, you know, he's got some natural bend to him as a, as a rusher. And those guys are really hard to find. They really are. And he's got some naturalness to him, just even countering pressure. And when people put their hands on him, knowing how to spin out and, you know, dip and duck around. And, and those things are, if you don't have that, it's really hard to coach. So he's, he really has some naturalness as a rusher. That's the upside of him. Uh, I did think he'd go, I think 95 is incredible value. Um, you know, again, late first round. That that even when I saw that with Mel, and, and I respect the heck out of Mel Kiper, and I just got done working with him at New York, in the up at uh, Bristol for the for the pre-draft stuff for ESPN that I was doing. And what a great person, honestly. Like I never met him in my life, and he is like the most pleasant, nice, down to earth guy. Uh, really enjoyed being around Mel. I, I don't know if I ever saw like late first with, with O'Shane, but uh, I thought he'd be like a second round pick. So. Um, that's where that's where we we had him graded at the senior bowl so to to get him really late in the third that's tremendous value to me the one thing for me jim uh, on o'shane and i think we saw that at the senior bowl and maybe he didn't win quite as much in those one-on-ones i think he maybe has to add a little bit of strength because while he has the bend he has counter moves he has spins he can bend the edge i didn't see a lot of bull rush where he can maybe turn that speed into power is that the thing that you think he needs to maybe add a little bit in the nfl or is there something else that you think he does need to add to make that transition and be an effective nfl pass rusher yeah no that's no if, if there's if there's a knock that's that's clearly a knock and you know again you go back to where he's coming out of you know yeah. i haven't been i've never done the school call at odu before <laughs> um so i don't want to speak out of turn here at all 
that's one of the only schools I haven't been into. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a new program, fairly new program. And, uh, I mean, without even being there, I'm telling you, it, you know, they don't have the resources of a, of a Clemson or an Alabama. So, um, you know, a lot of those big schools have, tra- you know, awesome training table for these guys and, um, you know, just can feed them and weight facilities. So you, you always got to thank guys um, from like a, what we used to call, you don't even hear the name anymore, but like a mid-major type school. Um, like that, or a, or, a, or a lower level, you know, one AA, FCS, or, or Division Two. You always bank on that, you know, that hey, we get this guy in an NFL program, he's going to get, he's going to thicken out, he's going to get stronger. Um, just guys I've been around, like Bruce Irvin, when we were in Seattle and we got him out of West Virginia. You know, Bruce was 227 pounds wow. as a senior, shows up to the combine at 245, and then you know, by the time I left there, a couple, when he left in free agency to Oakland, he was 260. So these guys do get bigger, they do get stronger, they do get thicker, and uh, so you can you can do that. You can't you you can't develop what O'Shane has in terms of his get off yep. and um, like I said, just his naturalness as a pass rusher. Those are things you can improve. You can you can get a guy bigger and stronger. Jim Nagy's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jim, again, we appreciate your time. Now, Corey Ballantyne uh, was really the the other third giant who comes out of the Senior Bowl, who was part of this draft. Interesting, when we talk about that mystery factor of how do you project the guy up, he's coming from Division Two, where he was the defensive player of the season. Uh, tell, tell me what you guys found out about him coming in, and what did he do to extra impress you during the course of the week? I know he had five total tackles in the game. He was certainly active. Yeah, he was, Corey's a really, really intriguing player. Um, I started getting calls from guys around the league on him. I mean, that's the thing at the Senior Bowl now is we're going to scout the Power 5 schools and, you know, all the FBS schools really well, but it's some of these really smaller school guys like a Washburn that might fall through our cracks. So that's why it's critical to have relationships with, with guys in the league. And, you know, so my buddy started to call me and say, hey, you're on this guy at Washburn yet? And I said, no, we haven't seen him. And um, called our guy in the, in the Midwest who lives in Missouri he went up and saw Corey play and just called back and was like, man, this kid is really athletic. He sent me, you know, we, we posted videos all fall from the games we were at. We, we actually saw of the 114 players we brought to the Reese's Senior Bowl this year, we saw 105 of them live in games from our staff. So, wow. Uh, really proud of that fact that we were out. You know, we were – it's good for – you know, it gives us credibility with the, with the NFL teams. They know we're out there doing our work too. So – what he would do, and what we all are scouts to do, is take videos during pregame of guys moving around, and then send them to me, and then I post them on my Twitter, and uh, just to give the fans a heads up of who we're looking at. Nice. And uh, you know, Corey is, uh, yeah, and it turned out to be a great recruiting tool too, because these kids all saw it, and they, they're all on social media. They loved it. But <laughs> anyway, Corey's video was one of the coolest ones. Like to watch him. I remember he was pedaling. He was pedaling. He opened up, and then they threw him. You know, they threw him a ball, and he. Just you know, jumped up, high pointed the ball, and looked really athletic doing it. So you, just in that one like seven second video, you saw what kind of athlete we're dealing with, and you also saw the body type. A lot of times, these smaller school kids, they're at, they're at Division two level for a reason. It's genetics. You know, they're just not genetically as gifted as as the guys at a bigger school. And Corey is a really put together, good looking kid. He carries his pads really well. Uh, so I was like, okay, we got something here. We got the body type, and we got an athlete, and. Uh, you know, going to look at the tape, he's really physical. He's going to be a he's going to be a great special teams player right off the bat. You know, so you know he's going to be that. So that that's what that's a great sixth round pick because he's making your fifty three man roster. There's there's 
this guy's going to be on your squad. It, not only is he making your 53, he's going to make your game day 45 because he's going to be on all your core special teams. Hmm. And then what he showed during the week down here is a corner. I mean, he played – he held up really well in man coverage down here at the Senior Bowl. I thought he was uh, – yeah, I, I thought he had a chance of going in the fourth round. You know, I thought safely in the fifth, so getting him in the sixth, you know, the seventh pick of the sixth round, again, I thought that was tremendous value because he really – I was worried about how he would show up in coverage being a small school guy, maybe being a little overwhelmed by some of these bigger school receivers, and uh, that wasn't the case at all. I mean, he, he had some really good reps against some, some really good wide receivers, so um, high upside guy that I know is going to play right away on fourth down and uh, could definitely see – because of what he can do in coverage down the line, you know, at, at minimum becoming like a third corner. Final one, Jim, um, real quick on Ballantyne, just, just to follow up. If there's one thing, whether it's technique or, or something else as a scout that you see that he needs to improve upon as he makes an even bigger jump from Division Two all the way to the NFL to develop into that type of cover corner you think he can, what's that improvement that he needs to make? It's just it's just experience, you know, and that's and that's learning how to be patient and playing his technique and trusting his technique. I mean, at the D two level, you know, not even specific to Corey, but most most of the defensive backs at that level, when they're when they're legitimate NFL players, they can get away with a lot of stuff because they're, they're so much more athletic than the guys they're going against. So they can, you know, they can stab a hand at the line of scrimmage and whiff and get back in position. Or, you know, wherever it might have, you get sloppy at the top of a route and, uh, you know, get back in phase and make a yeah. play. So it's just it's re- it's really getting honed in on his technique and, and being patient and trusting it. Um, that's only going to come with reps. Jim, great stuff. I really appreciate all the time today. Best of luck, and we look forward to being back in Mobile next year with you as uh, you continue your great work at the Senior Bowl. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jim. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. Jim Nagy did a great job. Good information there, Paul. And then you get really get, he's a scout at heart, and he gave you some great information there. Well, you remember he took over for Phil Savage, uh, who moved on yep. from his uh, job at the, at the Reese's Senior Bowl. And Jim came in and immediately hit the ground running. And if I'm not mistaken, John, did you see the stat? I think somebody posted on Twitter. We, we didn't actually give Jim a, a chance to crow about it. I think every single one of the Senior Bowl players on the two rosters has either been drafted or is going to a uh, a camp. Yep, every single one. 100%. We'll, we'll be at a rookie minicamp. And I think what, what you said, what, 90 out of 115 got drafted or 100 out of 115? Yeah. What was it? Uh, but, yeah. but the other guys are still going too. It's Correct. not like they fell off the map and nobody wants yeah, them. Yeah, I was talking just drafted. But in terms of being invited or being an undrafted free agent or getting drafted, he hit a hundred. He hit a thousand. I mean, you know, and you and you heard what he said. I mean, he he's got tentacles all around the league with staff members who are going to personally check out the fellas that they are going to recruit to bring to the Senior Bowl. In a way, John, you know, you could make an argument, and you saw the number too. There were a bunch of guys who were at the combine who didn't get picked. Now we won't know exactly until after all the numbers are in how many of those guys don't get free agent camp invites either right that number's not out yet but you you can't dispute the fact that Nagy and his staff really have an eye for what it is that they're doing yeah and I want to see if I think I marked this tweet from somebody the other day maybe I didn't um but there's somebody at a list and there were something like 100 underclassmen that declared for the draft that didn't get taken or something like that well, it's just a shame the money grab 
You know, they no, get, look, and, and some kids really need it because their family situation or whatever. You know, that's I, I, true. I get it. It just it stinks that in, in a lot of cases somebody, they're prodded though. Somebody probably gave him bad advice. Yeah, which well. is which is a shame. Well, and I think that's really why more than anything, the the Senior Bowl situation is a very big deal because usually when these guys are coming out early. They try to sniff around, and their agents or their their advisors, let me change the word to advisors, (laughs) try to sniff around. Because it isn't always agents, by the way. Correct. It's not always. And they try to figure out, where do you think I might go in the draft, and is it worth it for me to come out now and see if I can cash in? And they're all given some type of estimates. This happens in the NBA, too. I mean, this is not exclusive to the NFL. Remember, the NFL, the NFL... um scouting service, I forget the name, gives a pre-draft grade on all these kids and tells them, look, we think you'll get picked here, I think back in January, right? Or yes. even December or something like yes. that? Yes, yeah. sometime, I think it's right around the new year, yeah. and they're supposed to be able to take that and input it into their equation to give them a better idea as to whether or not they really would like to declare and enter the draft. NFL advi- Scouting Advisory Council, maybe it's called? Something like that. And, I, and I'll be honest, folks, I don't even know who's on that council. I have no idea. I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure it's a bunch of retired scouts or maybe representatives from teams or something like that. I don't even know. Now, the shame of it is sometimes the players will get bad advice and it won't necessarily be yeah. from the committee or the council. It'll be somebody else who says, oh, no, you're going to go higher. Uh, yeah, you don't, don't li- you, you go high. Don't listen to that. Just wait till they see you run, you work out, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then what happens? Right. And, and it That's doesn't work out. So anyway. All right, we got a half an hour of calls, folks. Let's get to it. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Mark in North Carolina will lead us off. Hello, Mark. Hey, how's it going today? We're great, Hello. Mark. How are you? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the quarterback thing obviously has, you know, been a big uh, stink, as it were. Yeah, but, you think? <laughs> uh, the last few years we've been dealing with uh, Eli should sit and so on, and sort of the silver lining, I think, is going to be, well, who's going to go in? So Eli is the quarterback this year. That's the way it goes. Yeah, and Mark, and Mark, here's the uh, thing. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile uh, Daniel Jones can compete with Kyle Laletta, which Kyle Laletta was at the Senior Bowl last year, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and so there's the competition. You need four quarterbacks going into the, um, you know, training. Uh, you need someone that can throw the ball. So whether Daniels makes it or not, he may be a good backup one day. Who knows? Or who knows? Maybe, you know, Gettleman got his guy. That's what he wanted. Just like Arizona got their guy, yep. Murray. Hey, Mark, the bottom so, line is that know, we, we will know. Everyone's got their own philosophy. Uh, Gettleman's got his, and uh, and that's the way we have to trust it. But I like the rest of the draft. Uh, Dexter, uh, <laughs> Dexter Lawrence. Lawrence, my gosh. He's you a know. big boy. And um, the corners, we need corner help. Oh. I mean, look, the secondary uh, has been a problem for the last few years uh, quite a bit, as well as, you know, the right tackle situation. So, Hey, look, um, Mark, 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 like, we're with you. I like the draft in a hole, and uh, that's – that's how I look at it. Thank you, Mark. I what appreciate the, the call. I'll go ahead. Finish up, Mark. I'm sorry. Finish up, Mark. Go ahead. Hello? Um, Real quick, Mark. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, you know, pretty much it, I guess. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you for the call. Um, look, appreciate it. No one was pumping up that this team needed a cornerback setting into the draft more than me. When we talked about needs, I always like, guys, don't forget about corner. Don't forget how about corner. Don't forget about corner. How could you? How could you? You had one guy that you knew you could trust. 
and maybe one one and a half if you count Grant Haley because he played well for the last six games right. or whatever it was. But otherwise, they who needed not? secondary. The thing about it was John, and why, in my opinion, you, you, it was not necessary to overemphasize. It was because we have been told secondary was so deep in the draft, and and I was really telling people it would not shock me if they didn't take one in the first or second. I thought it was possible, but you could get them beginning in the third round. And they got Julian Love in the fourth. And they got Corey Ballantyne in the sixth. So they did draft two corners, you know, after my line of demarcation. Didn't surprise me at all because these guys have make it great. Well, yeah, we talked about it too, that the sweet spot for corners started at 37. That was the sweet spot. They moved up a little bit to get them. Which, by the way, I'll say it again. I said it yesterday. You look at the trade chart. They actually got overvalued for that by a few points. So it was a good trade. It was a fair trade for both teams. It was a good deal. And you needed cornerbacks. And you got a guy with a second-round grade, at least in my opinion, and a lot of other people's opinion out there as well, in the fourth round. And then you have a young guy who from a small school. And if you're going to draft a guy in the sixth round, I like drafting the guy from a small school that maybe has a lot more room to grow than somebody else. So with all the athletic skills. So... That's good to know, and it, it's it, it's a good thing. Jerome and Charles up next. Hi, Jerome. Hello. Hello, Jerome. Hello. Yes, go ahead, Jerome. You're on the air. Um, when, when will y'all have the uh, the fridge and list out? Uh, or that that they started yet? That that will not. They do not show up for physicals until Thursday. In years past, I haven't been able to talk about the official list until Friday morning a lot of times. So uh, that will not be until the end of the week, Jerome. The kids have to put pen to paper before they can release those names for the ones that are undrafted free agents. And the problem is that they're not actually going to be here at the facility to put pen to paper until Thursday. Right. So until then, everything out there is speculation. I know there are some names out there. But unfortunately, we're not going to be able to talk about those names until Penn has put the paper, and that's probably not going to be until the show on Friday, sadly. Then you also have to understand these undrafted rookie free agents have to come in and pass a physical. And that and that's also on Thursday, by the way. Exactly. Correct. So really, whatever you see on the Internet, it's nice that those are maybe coming from the school that they were at. Or an agent. Or the player. Yeah. Or an agent. Or a family member. Or a teammate from college. You'll see a lot of those things out there. And it may, in fact fact turn out my experience is that of the names you will see connected to a team on the undrafted rookie free agent lists on the web approximately 85 percent of those guys probably will wind up being signed to the rookie minicamp it's a pretty high percentage but it's not a high enough percentage for me to start reporting on it because I, I believe in 100% accuracy. I'm not, I'm not one who enjoys 85%. That's not good enough for me. I, I, I want to see the official list, and then I'll talk about guys. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little old. Not as old as you, Paul, but close to you. If you are. But, um, <laughs> I, I, I know like on Sunday, Sunday and Monday, that, that's usually when they, they start having people, you know, come in and sign the free agency. No, no, they they will they they don't arrive until Thursday. Thank you, Jerome. They take Appreciate their the physicals. Call. They sign the contracts. Thank you so much for calling. And uh, again, let's make it very clear: it is not unusual 
for this franchise in particular, going back to the days of Bill Parcells, to have three or four undrafted rookie free agents make the 53. Yeah. Well, it will be tough for this year because there's so many draft picks. There's 10 of them. Exactly. But that is true. It's also a roster that's being built up with young players. So that gives, I think, more room. You saw they turned the roster over in September last year. Speaking of undrafted free agents, and I just retweeted this out for people because I'm going to mention it right now. Andrew Brandt, who used to be on the on the business side of the personnel side of the and NFL front office, who's now a member of the media. This is his, his, his story that he told on Twitter the other day. Favorite story of his career when drafting, when signing an undrafted player. Signing an undrafted player. I once told the player we would sign him and his bonus would be $500. His response, um, darn, I only have about 100 but I can get you the rest of the week at the end of the week. And he said, no, we pay you. The other story he told, which was great, <laughs> um, he goes and signs a player. And I see if I can find that out. I see if I can find that one. So, oh, here we go. Once I talked directly to a player, no agent, and he agreed to terms to come as a free agent. Then he noticed, this is Andrew noticed, that that player's name was on a list of signed players for two other teams. So he called the player up and said, what's going on? The player said, oh, I thought I could sign with all of you and then pick the team that I wanted to stay with. <laughs> oh, my God, that is incredible. You know, I, I will say, that? And, and please, to, again, to educate you guys, there is a difference between an undrafted rookie free agent who is signed and a Guy who was given a tryout. Correct. Big, big difference because you can take a tryout with multiple teams without signing a contract. The mm -hmm. only thing you have to do is sign an injury waiver to participate in that rookie free agent camp. But you can absolutely sign or not sign, but yeah, sign an injury waiver with, let's say, four teams and take a tryout with all four of those teams right. if their rookie mini camps are on different days. There's nothing preventing you from doing that. If you're a tryout player, understand that. So when you see the list on Friday, make sure you understand there's a tryout player and then there's a undrafted rookie free agent signed player. Different category. And those guys have guaranteed money on their contracts, the undrafted free agents, which is... They give them bonuses to try to get them to come to your team after the draft. 201-939-4513. Jimmy and Rose Hill is up next. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, guys. How are you? We're good, Jim. Hi. How you doing? Uh, that uh, interview with um, uh, with Nagy was, was was so illuminating. But, but uh, Paulie, before we – John, before I get to my question for you, I just want to mention something to Paul. Sure. Uh, since I'm the guy that, uh, that tweeted Darius Slayton to everybody back in uh, – Mm. You know, when you guys were asking for for late round picks. Oh, did you? I feel that I'm I'm in a position to also uh, provide a scouting report on uh, Dylan Maven and Jason and Seawright, uh, uh, Isaiah Seawright. One's going to Tampa Bay, and the other's going to Oakland. They're from Fordham, Fordham guys. Yeah. Maven's got shot. To, Maven's got the shot to maybe stay because of some special teams. Sure. Seawright's a local kid out of Jersey. He's athletic, but you know. You know, we'll see. Go but, Rams. Uh, anyway, Paulie, that's that's for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> John, you know, um, I was watching the show Thursday night, the night of the draft, and yeah. before everything really kicked off, Madeline was talking with David Shaw. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the question was, 
Um, you know, you've seen a lot. You know, you've produced a lot of quarterbacks. Know what these guys? What are they looking for? And he talked about how he, you know, you dismiss the, the the rollouts and the screens, and you judge how does a kid, how does this guy throw from the pocket? And in Shaw's estimation, those are the guys that in the NFL, that ability to do that translates to success. And I know on one of the shows you said you're going to go back and look at Jones's tape. Have you been looking at that particular aspect? Well, of, yeah, 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 yeah Jimmy, in, standing in the yeah, in general, when, when I look at these quarterbacks, and this is the problem you have with college football sometimes, there are so many yards that the quarterback doesn't have to work for. I mean, I go through these games, and I go game by game depending on the player and how in-depth I want to go, and you'll see a quarterback, you know, complete, let's say, 30 passes in a game. You know, 20 of them or 15 of them are going to be within five yards on the line of scrimmage. Those don't interest me. Those are free right. yards. You know, a, a little quick screen, a bubble screen, a quick pass outside, a little three-yard, four-yard stop. I don't care about those. I care about the plays where the quarterback's dropping back or taking the ball in shotgun, whatever, and he actually mm -hmm. has to look down the field, read, and make a throw, and the ball's traveling in the air a long distance. And if he's facing pressure on the play, great. If he has to move his feet, great. Those are the things you judge a quarterback on, and Going back, and Paul took my question for Jim's. I thought it was a great one, and I've heard Daniel Jeremiah say this too. That's what made, for me, Daniel Jones a bit of a, of, of a tough analysis because I believe he was very limited in what he was allowed to do and could do by the talent around him. He threw a ton of short passes. Now, he didn't throw a lot of passes behind the line of scrimmage, but it was a lot of slants. It was a lot of stops, things like right. that, but he had to. Because if he tried to drop back and hold the ball to throw down the field, he was going to get his brains beat in because Duke's offensive line couldn't block anybody else in the ACC. So you have to, it's almost like you watch a thousand plays, let's say, and maybe you can use a hundred of them to actually analyze the player. And that's how small of a sample size you get with some of these college offenses. And to my point, with Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State, I think towards the end of the year, he played a lot better, and you saw him get the ball down the field more. But if you look at his first six or seven games, everything is short pass and run to wide receivers. It's a lot of check downs and dump downs because he was a young quarterback getting used to the position, and Ohio State had so many skilled position players that he would throw a three-yard pass to Paris Campbell, and he'd run 60 yards for a touchdown. It looks like a 60-yard touchdown throw for, for Haskins, but he didn't really do anything. And that's what you saw from him earlier in the year. Later in the year, you saw him expand his game, get the ball down more, and that's why I considered him a bit of an ascending player. But that's why it's tough to scout these quarterbacks so much because, frankly, a lot of times there just aren't a lot of NFL throws for you to analyze. You know, Jimmy, to further emphasize what Nagy had said, uh, look at Ohio State. Uh, they're five starting offensive linemen. Two of them got drafted. One was first-team All-Big Ten. One was second-team All-Big Ten. One was third-team All-Big Ten. The other two starters were honorable mention All-Big Ten. He had two wide receivers drafted and a third wide receiver who was going to an NFL camp. He had a running back who was a 1,000-yard rusher and also got drafted. And by the okay, way, and think even, about that for a second. An even better running back that's going to be a first-round pick next year in Dobbins. Okay, so look, look at the foundation that he had around him. On top of that, he had incredibly inflated stats because most of his completions were against defensive backs on the other side who will never even sniff an NFL roster. And so this is all part of that mystery gray area 
that you have to take into account and say, did this guy face adversity? Did he face the kind of hectic, helter-skelter, nail-biting, sweat kind of situations, sweat-causing situations that you will in the National Football League? I mean, John could stand there behind that line with those targets and knowing that the corner is going to be three or four yards off the wide receiver and complete a pass. Yeah, Jimmy, I would love love to get in some type of virtual reality machine and just simulate a season with Haskins on Duke and Jones on Ohio State. I have no – I'm serious. I have no idea how each quarterback would do. I don't know if Jones's numbers would get much, much better to as good as Haskins were. I don't know if Haskins would do better than Jones at Duke. There's no way to know that. It's impossible. You don't know how the players will react in those situations. Because, frankly, if Haskins was at Duke, he would have been starting his freshman year too. So he would have had two years of experience there. So it, it, it goes both ways. And the environment around the quarterback, and we've talked about this at the pro level too, has a big – impact on the type of player he's going to be. And we talked about this with with uh, Kyler Murray's analysis, too. He sat there behind that Oklahoma offensive line, and nobody touched the dude. He played behind the and best offense. Of guys were drafted? No. Uh, well, uh, Samia was. Samia was. Yeah, Ford. Ford. Yeah, exactly. uh, the kid out of mm-hmm. left tackle. Yeah. The, uh, mm-hmm. God, I mean, Samia went. I mean, Powers, I think he got drafted. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Here, here's what we do Guys, know. Here's no, what we team, do know, my Jimmy. My team is at Go the ahead. FCS level, mm-hmm. and you know, every now and then we try to quote unquote step up to like the CAA or maybe one year we played Army, and at that level you can see, you know, the difference in talent. I can only it's got to be ratcheted a hundred times up when you compare the kids that were playing, you know, Duke and the kids that they were going, the teams they were going up against, as opposed to the entire 80, 85 man college roster. And all the facilities and everything else that was available to you at Ohio State. There's just no. It's it's. People don't realize just how apples and oranges it really is. Sure. The disparity of talent, you know, at that at those levels. Well, One Jimmy, last thing, guys. And yeah, real quick. I Go ahead. Other calls, but to to Nagy's point and to everything that you just said, John and Paul. Uh, Brian Balding has a tape out. It's a little clip on Twitter. Have you guys seen it? Yeah, I have, I have not. I, have I saw it. it. It's about okay. Daniel Jones uh, taking the ball up the field like 50 yards on a touchdown. The quarterback but, draw. Well, no, but he also has a cut-up ball where he's just he says, I went to Duke. He said, you can't watch Duke football. And it's just one series after another where this kid makes a play, puts the ball where you have to put it, and the kid's drop it and it's and he's also got it's humorous oh yeah the, the, the drops so, that he I suffered i did see that on one Twitter, too it's absolutely hilarious thank Thanks, you guys great job appreciate it jimmy i'll check that out and by the way 38 total drops led the ncaa last year and and that's according to pro football focus we're not pulling well, that number out of our butt so just like two years ago uh eli had uh, 50 plus drops uh, on him and again to the, the receivers again i folks, mean this, you know what right. happens this is just us explaining what the evaluation is and explaining what it is. I don't know what he would have been like in a different scenario. Neither does Paul. Nobody does. But yeah, this is but when they when NFL teams scout, this is why they don't scout box scores. This is why Correct. you scout tape. So we'll see. Again, we talked about it a million times. We know who Jones is going to be compared to. He's going to be compared to Sam Darnold last year, Dwayne Haskins this year, Josh Rosen this year. All the quarterbacks that get that got t- that were taken in the past two years, except for Baker Mayfield and Murray, because they weren't available to the Giants when they selected. But he'll be compared to all those guys, and we'll find out when they all play in a few years who's going to be the best guy. Now, the one thing we do know for sure is that Daniel Jones has three years of starting experience at the NCAA Division One level. 
Haskins and Murray only had one apiece, and we know that experience is the best teaching tool, and we know that experience also gives you an idea of how to deal with adversity and when things go wrong and when things are chaotic around you. And there is without question, without question, a huge advantage in that particular area for Jones and Locke over the other two quarterbacks. And one of the significant reasons why I never would have touched Murray or Haskins in this draft, period. And the Giants saw it the same way. Mike on Long Island is up next. Hey, Mike. Hi. How you doing? Great, Mike. Okay, Hi. so this this is the dilemma that I have. Sure. The, the, the Redskins have already stated that most likely Haskins is going to start from day one. Okay. The Cardinals have already said that absolutely Murray will start from day one. Yep. Now, Gettleman has stated that uh, Jones might sit on the bench for up to three years. Depending on how well Eli plays. Well, he said up to. Yeah, well, but but, but, Mike, that is dependent on how Eli Manning plays and and how the team performs with Eli. Correct. Okay, so now let's assume Manning does very well. And they extend Manning for another two years. I don't think that's going to happen, though, Mike. Then this developmental player is going to sit on the bench for three years, and we picked him at number six. That's unacceptable to me. Do you think the Packers are upset that Aaron Rodgers sat for three years and became a great quarterback? No, I'm saying is they should have taken that uh, either Ed Oliver or uh, Josh Allen, and there's no emergency in picking a quarterback this year. The Giants are going nowhere next year anyway. They're lucky if they go 8-8. Eight eight. The point is the following year in 2020 they can go for a quarterback, which the class is supposed to be a lot better. Yeah, and but they have Mike... to give out. If they have to give up the house to select a quarterback, uh, you know, up up there in the draft, then do it, and then he'll start from day one. No, but Mike, first of all, on your initial scenario, you said pick a quarterback next year, right? Well, if that quarterback you're picking next year and you're picking him right away after giving up the house, that means Eli didn't play well, and that means Daniel Jones is no, starting no, next no, year anyway. No, 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 I'm, no, no. I'm saying is they have to make a decision with Eli Manning at the end of this year because yeah. th- he, this is his last year on his contract. Correct, correct. Either they, they, so if they if he does very well and they extend his contract, then you don't need a quarterback next year. I'm saying is there's no emergency to take a quarterback now. Well, it, emer- and, 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 Mike, yeah. Mike, you're right. It isn't an emergency, and we said that. We said they can come out of this draft without a quarterback, and you would be okay. I agree with and you. I was on that side of the fence. Correct. Paul was. I was not. But at the same time, Mike, if you're sitting at six, and there's a guy there that you believe is going to be your next franchise quarterback, there is no price too high to pay. And I would rather use one pick on him now then wait till next year and trade three number one picks to move from 18 to two to go get them next year. I like that strategy better. Here's one thing I want you to remember. Daniel Jones is coming out at 21 years of age. So there is no crime if Eli's healthy and he does well and he plays in 2020. Big deal. So what? Daniel Jones sits for two years and absorbs everything from Eli, and then he's still only 23. Whoop-de-doo, whoop-de-doo. You're making it sound like he's going to be wasted and grow old like Rip Van Winkle. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that the Giants are giving giving up the opportunity to win now with Eli. The point is if Eli plays well, 
and you gave up that number six pick to some guy that's going to sit on the bench for a possible three years, and you could have had Josh Allen or Ed Oliver, and maybe at 17 you could have picked uh, an offensive tackle, Maybe the Giants could be in the playoffs. Oh, hold year. on, hold on, Mike, Mike, you now hit a you you now hit a Thank very you, sensitive button for Appreciate me. Appreciate the call because I am emphatic, emphatic in my belief that Dave Gettleman's draft was actually meant to play both ends of the spectrum. They got the quarterback of the future in Gettleman's estimation, but he drafted seven out of ten players on defense. A defense that badly needed a blood transfusion. And what did he do? The run stopper to fill the gap of Snacks' departure. The corner to fill the gap of the Apple and Webb departures. X-Man comes in to fill the gap of the Vernon departures. What exactly are you looking at? The guy took 7 out of 10 players on defense, and he made sure that he drafted a handful of defensive players right after he got the Daniel Jones pick out of the way. That is absolutely designed to dramatically improve this defense, which was ranked 23rd, to maybe try to get them somewhere into the 15-16 range so that they can win games in 2018. I'm going to tell you right now, and I put it on cover three last week. Now, he got me. He got me going here, John. I put it on cover three last week that the Giants will have as many as six rookies make significant contributions out of this draft. And I'm including Sam Beal because he's a pseudo member of this rookie class. And if that happens, then Dave Gettleman did what he wanted to do. Then he got his quarterback of the future, and he did something to help this team in 19. I'm sorry. He hit a hot spot for me. No, but that's fair. But I think his point is also true. If they did exactly what you wanted them to do, and they did, and they also drafted Josh Allen, they'd be better just for this particular year. There's no question about it. For one year, they'd be better. Yes. Right. That's undebatable. But here's Dave Gettleman from Saturday. Real quick, and then we're going to take the last two calls. He was asked about... Um, picking a player that's maybe not might not play next year and give an immediate benefit, which is exactly the question the caller asked about, which okay. is a fair question. Okay. This is what he said. I'm on a tightrope. I've got to think short-term, and I've got to think long-term. That's the box I'm in. That's the position I'm in. Coaches have to win now, and I ask myself, and I've told you a million times, I ask myself that question, am I giving Pat and the guys enough players to win? Okay. And you really, you know, it's tough. And I'll skip a couple lines here. So it's tough. It really is. It wasn't easier for me to pass up Josh Allen. For me, my background, that was very, very difficult. But I think that much of Daniel Jones and his future as an NFL quarterback. And look, guys, I've been pumping up quarterback far more than Paul has over the last two years. Mm -hmm. You guys all know that if you listen to the show. Absolutely. For me, there's going to be nothing more important that Dave Gettleman does than find Eli Manning's successor. Nothing dictates a franchise's success more than their starting quarterback. Maybe their head coach, too. But the quarterback is certainly 1 or 1A, okay? So I am willing to sacrifice some short-term benefit if the Giants get the right guy. We'll find out if Daniel Jones is the right guy. The Giants believe that he is. We'll find out. 201-939-4513. Let's go back to the phones and say what's up to Brandon and Secaucus. Hey, Brandon. Hey, guys. How you doing? Season ticket holder. Thank you. Um want to drive two points home here. Sure. Okay. Um, one, this is to fellow Giant fans out there. Just calm 
down. Calm down. <laughs> I, I get everyone has their certain guy that they want. But let me tell you something right now. We're hearing this from media analysts, okay, journalists. These are shock jock journalists in a clickbait world, okay? I trust in the process. Hey, it may work out, it may not work out, but trust in the process. I remember 15 years ago, I'm sitting in the winner's club in the 2004 draft, watching the draft. Remember, that's the party they used to have. Mm-hmm. And when we got Eli in that trade and gave up all these picks, every Giants fan was going nuts. Oh, we yep. did this. We gave up everything. I remember people screaming. I was hitting and had a cheesesteak, and I'm like, guys, trust in the process. Brandon, Just Brandon, trust. I've admitted this many times because I never run from anything I say. I told everybody then. They can still get to another Super Bowl with Kerry Collins. I don't see why they have to draft a quarterback. Wellington Mara himself supported keeping Kerry Collins and did not want to draft a quarterback. But Ernie, of course, he had conviction. He pulled the trigger. And I remember saying after it was done, because I wanted to rebuild the offensive line, I wanted Robert Gallery, the guy who went to the Raiders. I was hoping they'd move up and get Gallery to help protect Collins. Okay, and I, I don't run from you anything I say. That's okay, in, and by the way, admitting that is integrity. <laughs> I, I don't run from anything right. I say. Okay, because I got too many years of knowledge and experience behind me. I will never run from anything, and I will say this: at that point in time, I said, "Okay, for this trade to work out, because I believe Collins can get the Giants to another Super Bowl. I think he's that good. Eli Manning has yeah. to get the Giants to two Super Bowls in the next dozen years, and if he does that, then this was the right thing to do." Well, Eli did it. Not only did he do it, he won it right. and won two MVPs. And Brandon. So in retrospect, it was the right move. And I actually said this to, to somebody upstairs this morning. We were having a casual conversation. And I said to him, this is something that's involved in the draft process. I go, look, everyone's complaining about overdrafting. I worked at FAN back in 2004. And you're 100% right. After that trade on draft day, people were losing their minds over everybody the Giants traded. I remember back in October of 2007, <laughs> After Eli had that brutal interception game against the Vikings and just played one of the worst oh, games yeah. you'll ever Darren see a quarterback Shopper. play. Darren Shopper. People were literally knocking off the players that the Chargers were able to add because of the Eli Manning trade. And Sean Merriman, I believe, was one of those players. Nate Kading, their kicker. Correct. And mm-hmm. people were like, my and goodness, you could have had you could have had Phillip Rivers, mm-hmm. and you could have had him, and you could have had him, and you could have had him, and everyone was losing their minds. Now today... There isn't one Giant fan that gives a you-know-what about what they gave up to get Eli Manning. And that's where we're at with no. Daniel Jones. We'll see if he works out. Right. Paul, Paul, real quick. Yeah. Paul, real quick. i got to ask you a serious question. Sure. Do you call it gravy or sauce? Oh, I, I still call it sauce. Oh. I'm I sorry, he, I, I knew Brandon would be upset dinner. about that. You can't come over for Sunday dinner. I'm sorry. Thank no, you. no, Thank I, you, still, I still call it sauce. Thank you. Appreciate it. I get it, though. It, it's really tomato-tomato. It, it doesn't Correct. really make a lot of difference. Uh, Michael in Queens will be our final caller. Hey, Michael. Fellas, I wanted to say that Ooh. your coverage of the draft was phenomenal. Michael, thank you. And, and I want to say this, too, real quick. not superseding all of the pseudo-major networks. So, You're very kind. Michael, um, thank you. I appreciate that. And let me say this. Your voice is phenomenal. <laughs> he got a good voice. He's got he's got a good radio voice, no doubt. Um, Mr. P. Yes, sir. I speak to you. I speak to you all the time on Twitter. This is Mr. William ten seventy two. There you go. 
And I want you and John to know, I told you on Twitter, but I want you guys to know, y'all get me through my dialysis treatment. Well, thank you, Michael. We We appreciate that. Big Blue Kickoff Live means the world to me. God bless you. And uh, I hope everything goes well. Exactly. Best of luck to you on the treatments, Michael. Um, I know I'm up against the end of the show, so I wanted to get to my point. Sure. My point was, number one, I'm so glad my fellow Giant fans are not the GMs because I don't know where we would be. Daniel Jones played behind an offensive line that was really me, Paul, and Lance blocking and John <laughs> touching. So I don't know how you expect him to oh do boy. anything when his, when his constituents pretty much put their whole teams on NFL rosters. That's unfair. Um, but most importantly, I wanted to know who did you gentlemen think would be the sleeper of the giant draft? And, and I'll hang up, but I want you to know my pick is Georgia Giants. I don't want people to miss out on the fact that Tom Brady was kept upright this year by a seventh-round offensive lineman, and we drafted a fluid seventh-round offensive lineman who blocked against a top seven pass rusher for the whole year. Big George out of Kentucky. I'll take your comments off the air, and I appreciate the both of you. Thank you. We appreciate you being such a loyal listener and, and viewer. Thank you very much. Um, I think I think Big George is is a good one. My guess is that he's more of a developmental guy. I think it's going to take some time, which is fine. There's nothing wrong. Seventh round pick, you're not going to get a you know an impact right away. Yeah. Like, would it shock you if, if if he's sitting on the practice squad as a developmental player this year? Not it would at all. shock me. Not at all. Not at all. So I mean, so I, he would definitely be a sleeper. Can you count Julian Love as a sleeper? I don't think I that's think you fair, can because right? he was on the fourth round. Well, then that's easy. Third day. That, that's easy. You know me. I had a second round grade on him. He does everything. They even said, um, Dave Gettleman on Sirius, said they might even think maybe he'll play free safety at some point. He thinks he's that smart of a player. So, to me, that's the easy one. If you want to go deeper, I think it's Ballantyne because of his uh, physical stature and, and, and time numbers. I think he has the potential to, to, to be a real cover corner. Yeah, I think when you take a guy on, on the fourth round of Love's abilities, th- that's <laughs> definitely a sleeper because he fell that far. I just say calling him a sleeper because we talked about him so much. I know. Up to the well, draft. we did. Talk, we, we even talked about it before the pick. I know. And then you said, I yeah, want him. I called him. That's the I one know. I got right. So to <laughs> me, he's got to be the sleeper because he's a fourth round pick. But, right. but I do believe the most wily, crafty, foxy move that Gettleman made was the trade up and get DeAndre Baker at the end of the first round because I personally, from my liking, I like them as the best covered corner because of his physicality, his ability to play the run, and and he's got he's got some real swagger and attitude about him. Uh, I I I just thought that trading up when they had a big run on corners at, early in the second round, I don't think the Giants would have gotten him at thirty seven. I the, just don't, folks. One more thing, quickly before you say goodbye, just I want to plug something that our folks over at NFL.com that I thought was just great material that I think you should take a take a listen to and I tweeted it earlier today Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks do a podcast called move the sticks right and that's why Daniel Jeremiah's Twitter handle is move the sticks so when you have a chance go on whatever Twitter feed you have tune in whatever whatever you got go check it out they did an episode called Daniel Jones 360 and if you love draft coverage they do a great job by the way and it's basically an hour and 10 minutes and I, and I can teach you how to find podcasts on your phone if it if you need the help. I have an Android. Yeah, I can I can help you with that. That's okay. fine. So go on, find, find Move the Sticks, find the Daniel Jones 360 episode. They talk to his parents, his sister, his high school coach, and his quarterback coach mm. over an hour and 10 minutes. And you learn every single thing about the background of this kid, 
that you could possibly want and know him as a person as much as you know him as a player. I listened to it yesterday on my Camino while I was walking my dog, and it's great. It's great. And it just gives you great background information and exactly the type of person the I Giants get. I did 10 miles yesterday. You didn't Jones. tell me this yesterday morning well, when I had 10 miles? Show up to the facility, and I'll tell you. <laughs> So just make sure you check that out if you're a Giant fan. It really is fantastic. And you can see on my Twitter feed, too, we talked to Daniel Jones over the weekend, Dexter Lawrence over the weekend, and Julian Love over the weekend on Big Blue Kickoff Live. If you can give me a retweet on those, that'd be good. I, I put already them up put there. it up. Perfect. All, so, on one, all on one tweet, Oh, I like that. I, I, good stuff. I triple comboed them. You don't want to retweet me to get me more followers. I appreciate no, that. I just made it easier for everybody to go to one place for uh, all three. I, 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 see, I'm selfish. I want more stuff from me. I don't care okay. about the number of tweets. I, I it's not my don't. style. Paul, good stuff. And th- thank you to the fans out there for <laughs> calling him. Thank you for Jim Nagy. We'll, uh, we'll probably have an article on that Jim Nagy interview up later from Dan Salamone as well. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmuck. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Me and Jeff Fiegels tomorrow. Adios.